I do love a good stat. Hello and welcome to Real Versus Feel, Netball Numbers That Matter, a podcast with me, freelance journalist Erin Delahunty and Dr. Aaron Fox, a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods at Deakin University. In this weekly show, we align what it feels like happened in the latest round of Super Netball over the weekend and what the stats, that's the real, tell us. We wouldn't be here without our major sponsor, All In One Property. If you've purchased property, you know it involves tons of paperwork and stress. You've got to sort out conveyancing, finance and insurance, and that's if it's a simple deal. All In One Property can help handle every step or just one. Visit allinoneprop.com to learn more. I'd like to acknowledge I'm on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people in Echuca and Aaron is on Wadawurrung land in Geelong. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Well, what can we say about round 10, Aaron? Only last week we were talking about the close margins, the tight finishes that had pretty much come to characterise this season. And then this week we had three what can only be described as blowouts um, and one slightly closer game that was really only decided at the death but looked very different to the last round. Yeah, probably a brutal weekend for some fans, uh, but it resulted in some pretty interesting statistical anomalies that we'll chat about throughout the show. Uh, But let's change tack this week. Why don't you start our statistical rundown with the opening match of the round the closest one, Giants versus Lightning. Yeah, I mean, it in the end, at the end of the weekend, you're sort of looking back and it was really the only semi-close result uh, that we had. The Giants got their second win on the trot against the Lightning and uh, the Giants media team described their, their side as showcasing their fighting spirit to orchestrate a remarkable comeback to win 70-64 and it's pretty hard to argue with that. The momentum definitely swung back and forth throughout this game. But in the end, it was super shot accuracy from Matisse Leatherborough, who obviously got the start again with Joe Harton being out and Sophie Dwyer. And I have to say, those two just look like two best mates just having the time of their life out on court, which of course they are very close and have known each other for a long time. And then of course, we had this just stupidly good game from Amy Parmenta that we're going to talk about later on in the show, that that shooting accuracy and Parmenta at the other end really made the difference for the job. Giants. Statistically, I just mentioned Leather Barrow. I mean, she backed up her great game last round. She finished 56 from 52, including five from eight super shots. So that's about an 88% accuracy. It, what jumped out at me was there was only nine intercepts in this whole game. So that was kind of quite interesting to see. Parmenta had 97 net points, which was not only the most for her side, but the most of any player on court. She somehow didn't win the MVP, Aaron. I'm not sure how, but of course we found a way to give it to Sophie Dwyer. Um, And Lightning uh, had seven deflections, um, but none of those resulted in a gain. That'd be something they'll be looking to work on, no doubt. Now, you're going to tell us about the Vixens Thunderbird clash at John Kane Arena, where you were courtside with all of the beautiful people, Aaron. Is that right? Yes, I was. And I sent you my interesting story about how I may have made a mortal enemy of <laughs> Shamira Sterling in warm-ups. Um, might save that for another time, though. Uh, so the Vixens obviously won this one pretty easily, 60 to 39. Uh, 
Thunderbirds' lowest score against the Vixens since round eight, 2014. And that's another thing we're going to touch on later in the show. Emily Mannix was obviously the standout this game. 11 gains, eight intercepts, six deflections and three rebounds. And a defensive game like that is not going to be missed in the show when you're planning the structure. <laughs> so we will talk about that later too. Uh, 26 gains to the Vixens. We talk about when they get above 10, yeah, how 26. they win. When they get above 20, I mean, they'll probably also win. And that's the equal second highest gains in a game ever and the most since a team by a team since 2017. Hmm. What I kind of found interesting in this one, and this is thanks to Michael who puts his game reviews out afterwards, mm-hmm. uh, in the Power Five, the Vixens outscored the Thunderbirds 29 to 9. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's basically the entire margin of the game. So they really pushed this out in the last five minutes of each quarter. Um. And the Thunderbirds and Eleanor Cardwell had some real rough patches with respect to being held goalless uh, and really starting well. And then the scoring rate significantly slowed down for the Thunderbirds. Uh, So not one they're going to really want to remember. I think you're being very Uh, kind about the Thunderbird shooters there. It was at at times it was difficult to watch, I think. Yes, I'm a kind one, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) Someone has to be. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Erin, our next blowout of the round, the Swifts versus the Pies. Well, I mean, I just used the expression, it was hard to watch um, about the Thunderbirds attack line. And I think that's pretty much how I felt about this game. After quarter time anyway, um, Collingwood showed a little bit in that first quarter and were trailing by only a couple of goals. But after that, it was all over for the beleaguered Pies. Obviously, we know what's happening off the court and... I guess we can't really blame people for being uh, players and staff being distracted about whether they know they're going to have a team next year or not. But after quarter time, you know, Helen Howes, we shot the lights out and the Swifts just piled on the paint really uh, to come away 85 to 56 um, winners. As I said, pretty difficult to watch. Paige Hadley in her 150th National League match was just outstanding 30 feeds 19 goal assists a couple of intercepts and half a dozen pickups as well the swifts had a hundred percent gain to goal rate now i know when we talk about percentages sometimes they can be misleading because i'm a statistician i know that aaron um but they did have 18 of them so it wasn't just a case that they only picked up a few and then converted them there was a lot of them across the game helen housby and sophie fawns um shot the same number of super shots 14 as Sasha Glugzo shot on her own. There was a bit of chatter, I think, during the game. Oh, maybe Helen can break the record here. And everyone was watching really closely. But as we know, uh, in the last game, Glasgow uh, just smashed that record. Um, as I mentioned, Sophie Fawns, she got 32 minutes on court, which I didn't check, but I'm assuming that's the most minutes she's had this season, certainly. She had she shot 22 from 28, including five from six super shots. And she also had an, had an intercept as well, which is always a big gold star for a gold shooter. And now, Aaron, you're going to look at the biggest blowout of them all, which was our last match, the West Coast Fever against the Queensland Firebirds. Yeah, watching the scoreline come through with this, I didn't watch it live, but it was checking progressively and it just did not stop. You thought it might have <laughs> at some point, but it was relentless. And so this had a couple of records, which we'll flag a little bit later, but 97 to 63 with 14 super shots from Glasgow. Like it's a brutal scoreline for Firebirds fans. There's no reprieve coming 
just yet for them. It was a bit like that um, Simpsons meme that you see, you know, don't stop, stop, <laughs> yeah. stop, stop. They're already dead, kind of. Yeah, that feels like the Firebird season at the moment. <laughs> it does, unfortunately. Um, Shouldn't laugh. So scoring 97, you got to have a lot of circle feeds, right? The Fever yeah. had 117, which is the third highest ever circle feeds for match. The Firebird. Oh, here's some reprieve for the Firebirds. The Firebirds <laughs> in 2010 and 2018 actually had more feeds than that in a couple of games. They hold the two highest circle feed matches in Super Netball and ANZ Champs history. Okay. Uh, but the amounts that that ball was going in, not surprising to see Remy Carmo had 19 penalties, mm. the most for the round. Mm. Uh, down the other end, though, Courtney Bruce had 12 games, which is one of her best games for the season. Uh, the Fever are just getting or staying very, very good at converting opportunities. 86% center pass to goal, which is, you know, right up there yep. for, you know, in history, in the history books is really high and 82% for gain to goal. So, you know, they're just scoring wherever they like at will, which is pretty dangerous for other teams coming up against them in the coming weeks. Yeah, and I think too, Dan Ryan described uh, when he was asked, what did you think of the game? The first words that came out of his mouth in the presser was, oh, that was a lot of fun. And I thought, well, it probably would be a lot of fun playing netball when you're absolutely smashing sides. And the team is doing exactly what they they want him to do. And he did he has sort of said after those couple of really close losses, um, there really was no panic. They knew they were, they were doing everything they wanted to do. They were still playing the brand of netball there was just kind of tiny moments where they weren't able to capitalize and yeah to I think any vulnerabilities that people might have thought the fever had those uh, ideas have been well and truly washed away now on the after what you were just saying then our first deep dive today is what I'm calling record round rebooted because you know episode after round eight we talked about a heap of records um positive and negative that had happened in that round but um as you mentioned to me over the weekend in the message we might have pulled the trigger a bit bit early on that subject name so we're going to reboot that segment because of course at the weekend we saw heaps of firsts again on the good and the bad side of the ledger but mostly in fever's win over the firebirds um but also when we look at the margins that we've already talked about today. So let's step through them from the beginning. Tell me a bit about these huge margins that we saw at the weekend. Yeah, so we saw a 34-goal win by the Fever and a 29-goal win by the Swiss, which are the clear top two margins that we've seen for the year so far. Yep. The 21-goal win by the Vixens sits at number five for the biggest margin this year. So three of the top five margins that we've seen this season all came in the one weekend, uh, which is pretty big. Yeah. The average margin across round 10 was 22.5, which again is the highest so far this season by a very long way. Round three was the next closest at 14.75 as the yeah. average margin. And that's like almost an eight goal per yeah, game so difference different. in the margin. So big, big difference there. I think we're going to touch on margins later on when we check in on your shot in the dark. Because yeah, it's, it's a semi-sensitive topic at the that's moment. something it's that, that we, we talked about last week. But next up, let's talk about that 97 goals. I think we all know this is a record, obviously, by this point. But can you break it down for me? And especially, I think, um, where it fits in, given we have the super shot era uh, and the non-Supershot era, or the good old days, as some people like to call it. There's, it, it can be a little bit tricky to, when we're reporting this because we're talking about the number of 
you know, what's gone on the scoreboard, but that's different to the number of shots that were taken and that sort of thing. So can you tell me like I'm three, please, Aaron? Uh, I'll try. <laughs> Let's start with what's on the scoreboard. As sure. you said, the 97 is obviously the highest we've seen in ANZ champ SSN history mm-hmm. on the scoreboard at the end of the game. The yep. Fever actually beat out their previous record of 86 uh, from their round 11 game in 2022 against the Giants. And we're talking a lot about the fever here, but the Swiss yep. game over the weekend where they scored 85 is actually the third highest score in ANZ SSN history. Like, they did okay too. Yeah, I think the poor Swifts have been ignored probably in all of this uh, fever, fever. Um, but that's, yeah, that's interesting to note how far up they are. So what about the actual number of shots taken by fever? That's 82, yes? Where does that yep. rate? so shots... Shots made, not made. taken. Made, made. Uh, Sorry. I think. Yep. Yep. Uh, so the 82 goals the Fever made on the weekend to score 97 yep. is only the second highest number of goals scored in a match. Or think about it, this, the second highest number of times the ball's gone through the net, right? <laughs> Back in round six of 2015, the Steel actually put through 84 goals against the Tactics. So... Pre-super shot, the good old days, as you call it, Aaron. <laughs> I didn't. I meant... said some people. <laughs> okay, yeah. That meant they scored 84, right? Yep. Which is actually the fourth highest score in ANZ Champs SSN history, you know, just under what the Swifts did. Yep. Uh, and it's the only non-super shot era score in the top eight, right? Uh-huh. So all that other top eight is taken up by games since 2020. Right. I'm going to have to dig in, dig in and have a look at that game. I mean, I do, I do love the complexity that the super shot has brought to the league because it makes it really difficult mm-hmm. to quickly and simply compare things. And that's not something that journalists look to do at all. So it's great no, that it made all. our job harder. <laughs> um, speaking about the super shot, we have to talk about Sasha Glasgow's 14 made super shots watching along at home it it was kind of a bit like sometimes that the broadcast was stuck and you know how it just like repays the last little section oh she shot another super shot she shot another super shot so yeah talk to me a little bit about that please again i think everyone's already figured out that this was the most anyone's ever made so the 14 puts her at number one ahead of a bunch of players who have made 10 uh, that includes Steph Wood, Sam Wallace, Joe Harton, Helen Housby, Ronnie Samson, and also Sasha Glasgow earlier this year made 10. Uh, interestingly, though, the 20 attempts mm-hmm. Glasgow used over the weekend to make those 14 is also the most by any player within a game. So mm-hmm. the next highest before that was actually 16 attempts, which has been done three times. Yep. Once by Housby last year and twice this year, once each by Glasgow and Garvin. So, yeah, right. Glasgow, I mean, she's making them. She's also taking lots of super shots, you know, perhaps at a higher rate than uh, other players have done in recent years. Yeah. I mean, in a game where there's absolutely zero pressure and you have Janelle Fowler under the post, why wouldn't you take those, those extra ones? They come with zero risk but on the negative side in terms of records where does the Adelaide Thunderbirds total of 39 I actually had a friend message me during the game and say oh the app's not working because it's showing the Thunderbirds have scored 20 goals or or whatever it was up to at that stage of the game and to think they finished uh, you know um, under 40 is a bit staggering Mm, we talked in our uh, reviews of the matches last week, how if your score started with a four, you were probably in trouble. And I think if it starts with a three, 
you're in even more trouble. Yeah. Uh, the 39 that the Thunderbirds scored, it's the lowest by a team since the Super Shot was introduced, so since 2020. Oh. And in that time period, the Thunderbirds now have the three lowest scores of 39, 40, and 41. So Ouch. Uh, not, yeah, not the greatest spot to be, I yeah, think. That, that hurts, especially when they've got so much firepower. They were without Tipper Dewan, obviously. We need to sort of make a note of that. Um, now, we had a bunch of people reach out to us over the weekend with specific questions about the round. So let's spool through a few of those. Uh, Jess B on Twitter wanted to know, was the Fever Firebirds collective score of 160 goals, is that a record? Because it wasn't just the... I mean, the Firebirds obviously were well beaten, but they put a fair few, they put a lot up as well. Yeah, I mean, their total uh, would have beaten a couple of other teams mm -hmm. on the weekend mm -hmm. themselves. Uh, this is almost uh, a record, the second highest total um, behind 163, which was in round 11 of 2022. That Fever Giants matchup oh, we alluded to earlier was yep. 86 to 77. So not as high scoring for one team but a little bit closer which just pushes it three goals ahead of that 160 from the weekend yeah right imagine that was a super shot shootout too given the two teams that you're talking about and another question that we had over on twitter this time from georgia doyle was was fever's 50 goals by half time was that also a record yes it absolutely was 50 is that highest score we've seen on the scoreboard at halftime, probably not the most amount of goals shot within a half because the next highest behind okay. 50 is actually that steel tactics game we talked about earlier from 2015 where oh, yeah. the steel scored 84. They're actually on track for a much higher score. They're at 48 at halftime. So, hmm. you know, on track to score 96, even without the super shot yeah. in that match. They must have pulled, slowed, out, slowed down a little bit. Somewhat, I mean, without saying like a broken record, they didn't have that super shot to boost it. They didn't have that 10 minutes before halftime where they were doubly rewarded for it. So I've definitely got to go back and, and dig that one out. Uh, now, as you mentioned at the top, our next topic is amazing Mannix. There was so much news out of the weekend that I somehow did not write about the Melbourne Vixen goalkeeper. She really put on a masterclass against the Thunderbirds at John Kane Arena, or the Fortress, as I think we need to start calling it, Aaron. So I'm offering up this discussion as a sort of apology to the defensive gods that I haven't written about her yet. And Mannix, she's been sharing the goalkeeper bib with Liv Lewis on and off throughout the season, and she was just exceptional on Eleanor Cardwell and Lucy Austin. She, as you mentioned, she had 11 gains, eight intercepts, six deflections, three rebounds, two pickups, and only 10 total penalties. Can we just talk about how good she was for the next 10 minutes? Or maybe you've got some more deeper analysis for me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we can talk about some stats. Sure, uh, cool. So th those 11 gains on the weekend mm -hmm. is her second highest ever. I actually, watching the game and going along with the stats, felt like she got shortchanged on a couple. So yeah. I don't know how that happened, but it, it felt like she had more. Uh, she I'm did sure have a match she in knows. 20... <laughs> yeah, she was probably counting. Uh, she had a match in 2020 where she had 12 gains, mm -hmm. also against the Thunderbirds. And interestingly, three of her top five gain performances have come against the Thunderbirds. Uh, her eight intercepts from the weekend is also her equal second highest. She had nine against the Giants in a 2019 match. But again, three of her top five intercept performances 
have come against the Thunderbirds. So she's enjoying those matchups. Yeah, her eyes must light up when she sees Thunderbirds on the draw. But, I mean, this year's Thunderbirds is a, a very different-looking outfit to the 2020 Thunderbirds, I have to say. They're you know much closer to the top of the ladder than they have been. Uh, now, listeners will know by now how much we love the, the PG rating, which is a metric you invented last year, which looks at the number of gains a player has against their total penalties. To give us a read of how effective and clean they have been, how did she go on this at the weekend and where does it sit for her better performances? I love how you're giving me credit for inventing a ratio. <laughs> like it's just a mathematical yes. concept. No, 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 no. But, uh. but this is this isn't something that's existed until now. As I said to you when we we talked about in you know at the beginning of, of doing this podcast, we haven't had a quick and easy reference to do that in netball. So I think you should definitely take credit where it's due, Aaron. Right, I'll take I'll take that credit. Uh, so the PG ratio here on the weekend was zero point nine, and that's her fifth best performance within a game for this metric. And, you know, we often, anything below one is like pretty nuts, right? Amazing, yeah. Um, she had, she's had a couple of 0.5 ratio games. One of those did come from a two to one game to penalty, which, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. isn't that impressive. Maybe right. not a lot of game time. Relative, but she yeah. did have an impressive eight game to four penalty performance against the Giants back in 2019. Mm-hmm. Her highest gain performance of 12 actually only came with eight penalties uh and she's had another game of nine games that came with seven penalties and so these these performances including the one over the weekend are well below her career average which sits at about 2.8 for a pg ratio and so i think from these stats we're talking about there's two key things one we mentioned that she Mm -hmm. seems to have some of her most standout games against the thunderbirds there's something uh, about that team she likes and when Mannix gets going in these high-gain gains, she seems to become quite clean as well. Mm. Like when she wins the ball, she does it cleanly. Mm. Uh, the games where she's getting more penalties is perhaps when she's having less gains, which is why you see that more inflated PG ratio. Yeah, yeah. And she she's clearly a real confidence player as well. If she gets the hands on the ball early. I think we saw that last week against Sunshine Coast Lightning. That can... Uh, as with all defenders, can really get her up and going for the game. It'll be interesting to see what Vixen's coach, Simone McInnes, does sort of as the season unfolds because we've seen Liv Lewis probably be better suited to a tall holding shooter like a Romella Aiken-George from the Swifts or Janiel Fowler. So you'd expect her to maybe get the starts against those kind of players, but then also how do you how do you put her on the bench in the form that she's in. Um, now for our last subject this week, I wanted you to talk, I want to talk to you about Palmy on a mission. So as I wrote in my talking points column for Fox Netball, Giants wing defense, Amy Parmenta is doing everything she possibly can to show national coach uh, Stacey Marinkovic why she should be in the 12 player squad for the world cup later this year. If indeed, I guess Marinkovic wants to take a, a specialist wing defense. I mean, Parmenta was just stunning in the Giants win over the Lightning at the weekend. She led all comers, as we've said, with 97 net points. Um, yeah, tell me, tell, uh, and did I mention she didn't get the MVP? Uh, tell me how, how, how good was she, Aaron, relative for a wing defense particularly? I mean, before I get to that subtle little plug that listeners might not have picked up on there for a, for an article coming out from Della <laughs> lately, um, people might realize that at, at a later time. Uh, so how good was it? Yep. Uh, she got the most net points ever for a wing defense with 97. 
Uh, and there are now three recorded wing defense matches of over 90 net points. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a match of 92.5, mm-hmm. 94.5, and mm-hmm. 97. Mm-hmm. I bet you can't guess who's done. <laughs> does the name, <laughs> does it, does the name start with A? <laughs> yes, they're all Amy Parment. Oh, wow. So she's the only wing defense to have ever recorded greater than 90 net points, and hmm. she's done it three times now. So yeah, she had she had ended up with five gains, three intercepts, um, which was the most of any player. But she also had seven deflections, um, which and I think two of those resulted in a gain. And she also had seventeen center passes, which was the same number as wing attack Maddie Hay, which I feel like we don't see very often at all. She also didn't have a turnover, um, which I think is really key given how much ball she was um, was after. Um, and as listeners, as our listeners know, Parmenta is in direct competition with Collingwood star Ash Brazel, really, for that Diamonds wing defence bib. Um, earlier in the season, we had a quick look at the Palmy versus Braz head-to-head. Um, but Parmenta was so good at the weekend, I think it's worth quickly doing again. I mean, Braz has missed games and we've seen her play a little bit at centre. So maybe it might be best for us to use some averages to compare how the two of them are going. So head-to-head, obviously the feel is that Palmy is well and truly in the better form. Is, is that real? Yeah, when we looked at this earlier in the, the year, Parmenta had a pretty solid statistical advantage over Ash Brazel, particularly in defensive statistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only ones uh, Brazel was ahead in were the more attacking ones um, that she may get some advantage from spending some time in centre in yep. doing. A- and that lead seems to have been maintained by Parmenta over the last month or so. Okay, so where specifically is Parmenta ahead? So when we talk about defensive statistics, we're looking at things like deflections, which Parment is leading 4.1 to 2.0 at an average per game. Double. Uh, Gains as well, 2.6 per game versus 1.0 for Ash Brazel. So uh, getting an extra gain or two per game. Mm -hmm. And that feeds down to things like intercepts where Parment is averaging 1.7 per game. Ash Brazel's only at 0.6. Uh, and then even looking after the ball, the general play turnovers, um, you'd say Parment is ahead because she's getting less of these, yeah, 1.9 per game versus Brazil's 2.8 per game. Mm. And like if you look at that holistic net point statistics, which captures wing defense performance so very well, <laughs> um, Parmenta is averaging 40.4 and Ash Brazil's sitting at 24.3. So that's where she's ahead. So not only is she in better form, she's in twice as good form, you know, a quick read of of those numbers, and we know that they are averages. Where is Braz edging in just those attacking uh, things that you mentioned off the top? Yeah, feeds and goal assists, which is something that's difficult to get in a wing defence position. Tricky. (laughs) uh, Brazel is possibly getting some time in centre, helping her with this set. She's got 3.9 feeds per game versus Parmenter's 1.3 and 1.9 goal assists versus Parmenter's 0.7. So (laughs) we spoke about this last time as to, you know, what the the Diamonds staff are looking for in this position, someone who is really defensively 
minded in that wing defense position or someone who can maybe play more of an attacking role in center mm. really depends on what they're looking for as to where these players strengths have been mm. in super netball this year mm. i mean it's it's pretty easy to see if we're looking purely on form but that's never the consideration and thank you so much for the very gentle uh pointer there before people might, might want to keep an eye on fox netball might be a subject i'm looking to dig into a little deeper um, and I think we need to think about too, is it going to be a spe specialist wing defence or maybe are we going to see someone picked in the 12 that can go across a couple of positions? Who knows? That's Stacey, you know, on great, Stacey. Great, subtle hints there, Della. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now we have a special offer from our major sponsor, All In One Property. Real versus Feel listeners know by now that All In One Property can help home buyers with conveyancing, loans, property law and insurance. They can link you in with a bunch of property services so you can have one point of contact instead of many when purchasing a place. And the best bit is you can use all the services or just some. It's a one-stop shop for when you're buying a home, helping you handle the conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law paperwork, reducing stress and saving time. And for a limited time, if you reach out to All In One Property and mention the podcast, you'll receive 10% off conveyancing services. Visit allinoneprop.com or call 03-99-824-91 to discover how you can benefit from the streamlined property transfer process. It's now time for Fox Answers the Fans, Aaron. And today's question comes to us from Jenny Sinclair, who's one of the giant netball brains behind the Netball Scoop website. She asks, with ball security at increased focus in the game, especially internationally, what is the correlation between mid-court turnovers and winning games? Is there a specific position that needs to be low in that number or a magic number players should stay below for a team to win? And for the field side, she asks, what role does it have in, na in national selection, e.g. what we've just touched on, maybe something like a Jamie Lee Price versus a Kate Maloney? Mm. Now, I recall Jenny's last question to the show asked about relationships and mm -hmm. I used a technique called linear regression. And once again, I'm going to, I'm going to use that to help answer Jenny's question. Okay. It might be a statistical technique she could dive into and learn herself uh, Just for fun. to help answer questions. Just for fun. You, know, she, you can reach out <laughs> if she wants to learn about linear regression. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to focus on that uh, correlation aspect here mm -hmm. or the relationship aspect. Um, and we've defined mid-court players as those who primarily played wing attack, center, or wing defense sure. within a match, sure. um, those three positions. And we've looked at general play turnovers, yep. which have only been collected from 2018 onwards. So that's kind of the data set we're using okay. to answer this question. And so within each game, we can grab those players in the mid-court and look at the turnover disparity between the two teams. So you subtract one team's mid-court turnovers from another team, and then we do the same with end score margin. So we've got a differential in mid-court turnovers and a differential in end score margin to help us answer this question. And so what is that actually, what are you actually doing by that? Explain that to me again. Well, I haven't got to that point yet, Erin. Okay. So uh, we've just got the data and now yeah. we're actually applying the, the technique to answer the question. Okay. But essentially what we're looking at here is the correlation or relationship in that mid-court turnover disparity and the end result. The is difference the between the two and then the end result. Yeah. Is okay. the disparity in turnovers related to the disparity in score okay. at the end of the match? Okay. Or in more practical terms, is there a relationship between mid which mid-court looks after the ball more mm -hmm. and the end margin? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And so when you put this on a, a big scatter plot, you plot lots of points between these these this data set, mm -hmm. uh, you get what you expect with this linear relationship that as you record less mid-court turnovers than your opposition, you end up winning the game by mm -hmm. more. So we've actually got a negative linear relationship here. Okay. And when we apply a technique like linear regression to this, we get a percentage of variance explained in the outcome, so our score, uh, by the predictor. So our, that's our mid-court turnover disparity. And how big this percentage is indicates the strength of the relationship. Uh, so with mid-court turnover differential, it explains around 23% of the variance in the final score margin. Okay. So this is okay, but it's not like a super strong predictor. And this isn't surprising in a sport like netball, which is lots very multidimensional, yeah. right? <clears throat> There's lots going on. So 23% actually might not be that bad, and it's probably a good uh, indicator of, of team performance, right? So if your mid-court looks after the ball better than the other mid-court, um, then you're probably more likely to do well and win the game. Yeah. Uh, there are some neat examples from this data set that kind of go against the grain, though. So okay. it's not always like you look after the ball better than your opposition okay. mid-court, you win. Okay. Yep. There's a game where a team recorded a 34-goal win and only had one less mid-court turnover huh. than their opposition. Someone was clean. Someone was doing something right somewhere else on the court. <laughs> Or someone was doing something wrong. wrong somewhere else on the court. Yeah. Um, and there was another game where a team recorded eight more mid-court turnovers in their opposition, but they still managed to win by four. Hmm. So as a general rule, um, this is a pretty good indicator of who might win the game and by how much, but mm -hmm. it's not everything. Obviously, you've got to do the other good things on the court. As win. well. Okay. Well, thank you so much for that, Jenny. I'm glad that we don't have a YouTube podcast because the confusion that was written all over my face in that explanation would not uh, reflect well on me. That is a com it's a complicated thing that you're you're doing, Aaron. You mm. explained it. You explained it beautifully. I would have thought that percentage would have been higher too. But as you say, there's so many other factors that are at play in in any given game. Yeah. So I mean, 23% for a single kind of predictor in high. a sport like this. Yeah, it, yeah, it's not too bad, to be honest. It's meaningful enough. Yeah, mm, yep. Yeah. Look, please keep your Fox Answers the Fan questions coming through using real V feel hashtag on all of your social media platforms. We do we do have a, a fair few in the bank, but always after new ones, and particularly if things come up in specific games, um, we really like to follow them up in a timely way too. Now, Erin, here we mainly focus on stats, but the people's favourite segment, Della Bluntly, <laughs> Hardly. allows us to delve into what's going on with other aspects of netball. And this week is a pretty special one when it comes to things other than stats. Yeah, that's exactly right. Sometimes we don't have the opportunity to talk about what's happening week to week, round to round. So I just wanted to take a moment this week to talk about the First Nation round slash rounds, which are happening this weekend and next Coinciding with National Reconciliation Week, the round recognises the histories, cultures and contributions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to the sport of netball and to us as a nation. All eight clubs will wear specially designed uniforms across this weekend and next, specific to their traditional lands and designed by First Nations people. There's also a special ball for the round and the umpires usually have First Nation designs included in their kit as well. 
As a Super Netball fan, you know, before I'm a journalist, the reveal of the playing dresses and the stories behind them is one of my favourite things that happens each Super Netball season. You learn so much about the totems, symbols and customs of different First Nations people from across the country just by consuming the information that the clubs put out. It's great to see some clubs are actually starting to sell merchandise this year. This is something fans have been calling for for a while now. But it's not all about merchandise, is it? It's about the whole netball community gaining a deeper understanding and appreciation of First Nations culture. I was reading earlier in the week that 100% of the profits from Rebecca Atkinson's designed Melbourne Vixens merchandise and their apparel, the sales from that are going to go towards Netball Victoria's First Nations Pathway Program, which works to ensure greater access for Victoria's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities to participate in netball, which is a brilliant outcome. There's a very similar initiative happening for a lot of the super netball clubs right across. I just can't wait for the games this round and for this, you know, celebration to continue to grow in coming seasons. Yeah, I think the point about selling the the merchandise is great right like you Mm -hmm. see it in other sports that that do the a similar thing and and people buy it and the fact it's going to a a good cause is like even better yeah absolutely it's now time to check in on how your shot in the dark went for this round Aaron. look you did get one thing right last week that the average margin from this round was going to be above the season average. You were pretty confident of that. Um, but your <laughs> prediction, <laughs> this is like my giggle, this is like the giggle segment. Your your prediction that the average would be around eight to nine goals this round, that was your shot in the dark, was a, a, a little bit off, which we've already did you? I'm, I'm not that disappointed by this because I think the first part was my shot in the dark. That it was going to oh, be above average. Oh, is that right? Oh, we're just picking <laughs> yeah. and choosing now, are we? That's how we're no, rolling. No, and if anything, if anything, I was, uh, I went conservative okay. last round and this this has taught me not to do that. Okay. Uh, and, and I wanted to go harder on the saying the average margin was going to be more. But, right. You know, okay. going out there hasn't worked so well for me okay. so far this year. Okay. So I'm going to take it as a win. Uh, Even though that actual margin was 22.5, the average margin. Yep. No, I, yeah. As we mentioned <laughs> earlier, the average margin for the round was 22.5. Thank you for pointing that out again, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Uh, highest of any round for this year. Actually, the second highest average round margin ever. Wow. Across ANZ Super Netball. Blow only just round. beaten out by round six of 2016 in the ANZ Championships, which is 23.2. And the margins in that particular round all sat between. 14 okay. to 38 goals. So, uh, uh, yeah, a big oh, round. big spread in that round too. So, okay. yeah, no need to apologise, Aaron. Okay. I count that as a win. <laughs> what are you going for this round? I, I'm step, taking a step back from, you know, detailed statistical prediction this week okay. and more of a potential fun fact, I think. Okay. Based on who I see winning this weekend, yep. what we're going to see is every team in the top four yep. is going to be in a new ladder position from when they started in the round. Everyone in the top four is, okay. but everyone in the bottom four will be in the same spot where they start. Oh, I like it. I mean, we've got, uh, I think I saw my friend Michael Hutchison tweet this, 1v3, 2v4, 6v7, 5v8. Is that right? I'm pretty sure that's right. Yep. So you'd think we'll be back to some closer margins, but I do like that idea that they're going to shuffle yes. around at the top, but not at the bottom. 
And with with that prediction, you can figure out who I think is going to win all the games. Oh, okay. We can just deduce that for ourselves. Yes. Well, that's a wrap for our latest episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram where our handle is at RealVFeel and send us your Fox Answers the Fans questions using the hashtag RealVFeel. All-in-One Property is a dedicated property service provider. It's a one-stop shop for when you're buying a home, helping you handle the conveyancing, finance, insurance, and property law paperwork, reducing stress and saving time. Use all the services or just some. Visit allinoneprop.com to find out more.